This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, I'm excited. Today we're wrapping up this series we've been in the last couple of weeks called What's God Like? And, and we've been chasing after this question from this premise that God probably knows what he's like, and God actually wants us to know what he's like. And if we're willing to listen, he might just show us a glimpse of who he is and what he wants to do in each of our stories. And so we've been chasing after this together the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to jump in there. And there's a book I recommended at the very beginning of this series that I just want to highlight again that I think would be super helpful. It's called God Has a Name by a guy named John Mark Comer. He's a pastor up in the Portland area. You can go online and find this book. If you're here in the lobby, you can scan a QR code and and get that. But I highly recommend it as just a resource to help chase after the question in your own journey, your own story. But what we've seen over the last couple weeks is that in the pages of this book, the Bible, we see God actually wanting to reveal himself to us to show, show us who he is, and, and he does that through encountering other people and, and ultimately through the person of Jesus. And, and we've seen that God is pretty epic. Like, like, whatever our view of God is, God's like, I am much, much bigger. <laughs> and yet, even though God is so epic, God wants to be so intimately involved with our stories. Like, he cares about us, and he wants to walk with us and, and invite us into life with him. And it's pretty phenomenal when you begin to encounter him. And so wherever you're at in your journey, if you're just beginning to explore this, you just, the question, is God even real, is just where you're at. I'm so glad you're here. Because I think if you're willing to lean in and listen, God's going to show up and show you something amazing about himself and yourself at the same time. And so we're going to jump in today, and we're going to take a look at this epic encounter that this gentleman Isaiah has with God. It's in the first parts of our Bible, what we call the Old Testament And Isaiah has this epic encounter with God, and we want to just unpack this and chase after it because we're going to see some things about God and about us in this encounter. So let's jump in. This takes place in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, and this is what we see. Isaiah says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. So this is a pretty phenomenal moment going on here in the life of Isaiah. Like He's actually going to have this encounter where he sees God. Not just has some warm feelings about God, but actually sees God. And yet he gives us a little bit of a historical premise of what's going on here. He says it's the year that King Uzziah died. And so let's just pause really quick and just just chase this guy Uzziah, who he was, what he was like. And so here's what we know about Uzziah. He was one of the ancient kings at this time. And he was actually one of the good kings. So when you read the stories of all these kings that were over the nation of Israel at this point in history, you'll see that there were some really good kings and there were some really bad kings. But Uzziah is actually one of the good guys. And here's why. When we look at part of his story in 2 Chronicles 26, we read this, and it tells us why he got things right. We're told that Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, a, a, a prophet who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought God, guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. So Uzziah was the guy that said, God, I want to understand what you want and pursue you. But... You never really want to have a but in your story. (laughs) If you're on a good track, you never want to have buts. Things went south. And this is what we read in verse 16. But when he had become powerful, he also became what? Proud, which led to his downfall. And he sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. How many of you have ever burned incense? 
Yeah, right? You're like, like, what's the big deal? Like, how did he, like, go against what God wanted? Well, here's the big deal. At this point in time, God gives specific instructions for how he wanted people to interact with him around the temple that existed at that time. And, and the only people that were actually allowed to come and burn the incense were the people that he designated as his priests to represent him to the people at this time. And so here comes Uzziah thinking that he's the big bad king who can do whatever he wants now because he's so awesome. And he's coming into the presence of God doing something that he's not supposed to do. It's like he's actually deciding, God, I'll determine the terms of our relationship, thank you. And I'm Uzziah, and I'm awesome, so here I come. And so the story unfolds, and so the priests all realize Uzziah's about to do something that God doesn't want. Eighty of the priests come into the temple to try to stop Uzziah. Uzziah, don't do this. It's not going to go well. You think it's awesome. It's not going to be awesome. And Uzziah gets so angry, we're told that he's just filled with rage at these priests. How dare you tell me what to do? Do you know anyone like that? You don't have to elbow them if they're sitting next to you, but do you know anyone like that? <laughs> right? And so here's, here's Uzziah. And we're told that in that moment of his rage and fury, Uzziah is struck with leprosy. And he has to be taken out of the temple. And he actually has to live the rest of his days in isolation. And his son has to start reigning before his time. And it doesn't go well with Uzziah. Because he wanted to pursue God on his terms. Instead of letting God lead the dance. Have you ever had a relationship with somebody that didn't really factor you into the equation? Like they want to be your friend but on their terms? Like that just doesn't go well, does it? Like can you imagine if you had a friend that said, Hey, I, I, I love you so much and I want to be your friend. And, and can we just hang out and... And so you come out the next morning and all four tires are slashed on your car. And you're like, what is this? And you're like, I did that. Why? Because I love you. We'd be like, don't do that. See, I think we do that with God often. We approach God and we say, God, I'll define the terms of the relationship, thank you. And I don't really care what you think. And yet God, it matters. God is a person who has opinions for how things should happen between us and him. Jesus actually talks about this. If you read in John chapter 4, Jesus is having this conversation with a Samaritan woman, and they're, they're having a discussion about where do you worship God, and then Jesus says these amazing words. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, because those are the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. Like, God is actually looking for people to relate with him, and he wants to say, here's how we have relationship. And so Uzziah is blowing it in this moment. And that's why things didn't go well. And so this is the context now in which Isaiah is going to see God. He knows the story of Uzziah. He knows what happened, that it didn't go well for his king. And now suddenly he's brought in and he gets to see God in all his epic wonder. And so the story goes, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Can you ever have those like, moments where you're like, Whoa. This is a moment for Isaiah. 
And this isn't just a unique moment that he gets to see. You actually look in the last book of our Bible, the book of Revelation. One of Jesus' closest friends is having these visions of what God is like. And he, in Revelation chapter 4, he gets to see this same thing. And here's the crazy thing. These weird angel beings, these seraphim that are worshiping God, crying out, holy, holy, holy. In John's vision, they're still doing it. And it's like maybe a thousand years later from Isaiah's time to John's time. And they're still just saying, God is awesome. And so here's Isaiah having this epic encounter with God in all his wonder and holiness. And we're told, Isaiah says, then I said. What do you think you would say in that moment if that was you? If suddenly you got to see God in all his awe and wonder and beauty and goodness, what would your response be? I think I envision maybe what some of my first words would be when that day comes when God invites me home for the, for the ultimate homecoming. And I, I, I try to imagine what maybe my first words would be. Here's what I think my first word is going to be. Wow! Like just, wow! Like, God, look at you. Look how amazing you are. And honestly, I think I'm going to say this word for a really long time. Like, I'm just going to be so overwhelmed. I'm just going to be like, yeah! Like, you know those moments when you just see beauty and it takes your breath away? It's that sunrise or that sunset. Like, I think that's just like, like an appetizer of what that moment is of seeing God in all his incredible wonder. I, I think my first word is just going to be wow for like a thousand years. <laughs> and, and then here's what I think my second word is going to be. Oh! Oh! Because I think in that moment there's going to be so much that I don't understand now that I will understand then. Oh God, that's what you're like. Oh God, that's why you said all those things you said about life. That's why you said don't do this because I see how stupid that was now. Or that's why you said pursue these things because I see how life-giving they actually are now. Oh, oh God, that's, okay, this thing we call the Trinity where you're three in one, it makes sense now. Or maybe not because you're still God and I might not fully wrap my mind around that. But I just envisioned my second word being, oh. And then I envisioned my third word, it's just, the same word as the second word, but just a little bit of a different weight. Oh. Oh, that's what you wanted from my life. Oh, that's why you called me to things that, that when I just kind of pushed you away or didn't listen, oh, God, there's so much I missed out on. The opportunity to do good things. And, and I don't think this is a word that's going to last long because we're told this beautiful picture that, that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. I think some of those tears are going to be tears of pain and the hurt we've experienced in life. I think some of those tears are going to be tears of regret. But I think the beautiful thing is that that third word will be minimized by the goodness of God. But I still think it's going to be a part of the moment. So what, what I hope in my life is that I can minimize the third word by being captivated with the first word. God, I just want to be so taken with you that I'm going to give everything I've got to chase after you. And that's just kind of what I envisioned my first words to be like. So here's Isaiah now encountering God in all his epic wonder and glory and everything. And this is what Isaiah says. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man. And I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. I don't know about you, but that, that wasn't what I thought was coming. It was like a plot twist. 
And yet, can you feel the tension of what's going on in this moment for Isaiah? Because here's Isaiah in this moment, and he's caught up in this tension between who he sees God to be and who he realizes he is. And there's a tension in that. The tension is this. Everything God is, all of his beauty, his goodness, his wonder, was how we were created to be. Like we're told in the beginning story that God created us in his image so that we would be like him in this world. Like we're told that God did something unique amongst all the created things with us. We're told that he breathed his breath of life into us. That's when we became living beings. He created us so that we would be like him, so that we would reflect his brilliance through our lives in this world to one another. So that as we went through life, we would reflect how amazing he is in our relationships with each other. That how we acted toward each other, how we loved one another, how we did life together would be this beautiful reflection of who God is through our lives to each other. Doesn't that sound amazing? Does that sound like us? Come on. I mean, we look around our world, you don't have to look very far to see that that's not exactly how we are, is it? I mean, just turn on the news. Look at what's going on in Afghanistan right now. That's not new. That's been the story of us for a long, long time. There's something, there's something off. There's something that's not right. This is the tension Isaiah's feeling in this moment. And I think if we're going to be really honest, it's not simply the things that we see out there. Like, we don't have to really look very far beyond ourselves to feel that tension, do we? Like, I'll just be honest. I don't, I don't have to look beyond the mirror most days before I begin to realize that the problem has a lot to do with the guy looking in the mirror. Am I the only one? Does anyone else struggle with this tension in your own story? I mean, have you ever wrestled with, with knowing what the right thing is, with knowing what the good thing is, the thing that you just, you know in your gut, in your heart of hearts, that this is the thing I should do. Here's how I should treat my family. Here's how I should treat the people around me. And I just can't seem to do it. Come on, am I the only one? And have you ever wrestled with the other side? The thing you know you shouldn't do. The thing you know is wrong. The thing you know is stupid. And yet somehow you just keep making the same mistakes. See, I mean, that's the tension that we all feel. We all feel it. And no matter how much we try to philosophize it away, or psychoanalyze it away, or drink it away, or distract ourselves from it, it's still right here. The tension is so real. And see, this is the tension Isaiah is experiencing in this moment. This is why he says, I see God, I'm doomed. And yet what I love is how God responds to Isaiah in this moment. God's response is this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. I love this. God meets Isaiah right where he's at and solves the problem for him. Isaiah's realization is that I have unclean lips. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a, among a people of unclean lips and God's like, I have, a, I have a solution. And from the altar, from the presence of God comes this coal that touches Isaiah's lips and purifies him. 
so that he can now step into the presence of God and experience what God wants for him. I love this. God's response to the brokenness and mess, I love this, is that God's response is not to destroy us. God's response is to restore us, to meet us as we are, to meet us in the tension and give us the hope and the healing that we need. And see, that tension is real because God doesn't turn a blind eye. God sees us as we are. God sees us completely as we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and offers us something beautiful. He offers us life. It's why we're told that God loved the world so much. He did something incredible for us. He gave us Jesus. He gave us his one and only son. That whoever, listen to that word, whoever. Doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter where you've been. God loves you and wants to meet you as you are. That whoever would believe in Jesus would have eternal life. And see, this is the offer of hope that's on the table for every single one of us. As we all live in the reality of this tension, we all have the opportunity for the same hope through what Jesus has come to do for us. The question for us is how are we going to respond? How will we respond to this offer of hope from this epic holy God who loves us? See, because it's in that tension that we feel that we experience some of our deepest struggles. Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes when that tension is really stirred up in me, my reaction oftentimes isn't to run toward God. My reaction is to run away from God. Like, I, 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 no, 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 you're too good and I'm not, and I want to run away from God. And yet I think what God is saying, like, no, come here, come to me, come to me. Because it's also in that tension that we feel that we will sometimes experience our, break, our greatest breakthroughs. When that tension is real and we begin to encounter God in all of his epic glory and wonder, that's where we also can experience some breakthroughs because we realize that God wants to do something in our story. But the question is, how will we respond when we are caught up in that tension? Because it's real, isn't it? The tension is real. It's what the first followers of Jesus experienced. The first Christians, as they were wrestling out the reality of their own story, but trying to figure out how do we have relationship with God and how does Jesus fit in and, and change our lives forever? One of the early Christian leaders, a man named Paul, he writes these words to the first Christians about this tension and the wrestling that everyone was going through in their day. And these are heavy words. Listen to what Paul says about this. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Okay, so have a great day. We'll see you next week. Like, could you imagine if that's where the story ended? And I don't know about you, but I don't like those words. Anyone here say yes? Like when you think of putting like, like verses up to give you encouragement, are those the ones you use? I'm like no. And I'm like, I, I wrestle with God's anger? Like that doesn't sound good. Like, like if you've grown up with an abusive parent, you know how destructive that can be to you. And I'm like, God, is that you? 
And yet what we know of God being this holy, epic God who's also loving, that, that can't be what Paul's talking about. But yeah, he's talking about that God still gets angry. And so I have to just step back and wrestle, like, God, help me understand that. And as a not-so-perfect parent, I can begin to understand that when I look at my relationship with my own kids. And I begin to realize that the anger that Paul's talking about here, it's not an abusive anger. It's an appropriate anger. Because when I look at my own kids' lives and I see how other people have treated them, I see the bullying they've experienced, I've seen the mean things that have happened. Do you know what happens inside of me as a good parent? I get angry. I get angry when I see my kids being hurt. But you know there's times where I also get angry with them when I see them being the ones who do the hurting? Because I know this isn't what's good for them. And as an imperfect parent, I wrestle with how do I handle this anger? So how much more does a perfect God know how to handle that anger appropriately? I love how John Mark Comer in this book I was recommending captures this idea about anger maybe being an actual expression of love. And he writes these words. He says, love, at least the kind of love Jesus talked about, often leads to anger. We get angry about things we care deeply about, things we're passionate about. When you actually look at Jesus' life, you'll see moments where he got angry. Like when he rolls up to the temple and he sees what the religious establishment had done to the temple in that day and how they were actually keeping people from encountering God because they're trying to make money. And we see Jesus getting angry at that. He's like, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves, and he fashions a whip, and he chases them all out. I don't think that was Jesus being like, hey, have a good day. I think this was Jesus angry at what was happening. We're told that when Jesus approaches the tomb of his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, we're told that when he sees the people weeping and crying because Lazarus has died, we're told that he was moved in his spirit. The language there is he was angry, not with them, but with this thing he sees happening because he knows this was never meant to be part of our story. We are never meant to experience this thing called death, and he's so moved in his spirit that he's upset by it. And then we're told that he weeps, and then he changes the story. See, this is the kind of anger we see in Yahweh. That's God's name. Anger that is patient, just, and unselfish, that comes out of a place of love. Anger that comes from a father who cares about his kids. And see, we wrestle with the tension of that. Because I don't want to be the one in trouble. I want to be the one walking with dad. And here's the great thing. Dad, who knows how to be angry, also is full of mercy and love. He's really rich. Because look what Paul continues to say. But God... Is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Yeah, I just heard someone say amen. Amen means like, heck yeah, but maybe a little stronger. <laughs> amen. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. It's like, God, why why did you do this for me? He's like, because I love you. 
And for all of eternity, I want to be able to hold you up and say, look at you and look at what I've done. Isn't this awesome? We're going to be trophies of God for all eternity, where he's going to say, look at how incredible you are because of how I loved you. This is what God wants to do for us, and it changes our story forever. So Paul writes this in another one of his letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. See, this is the incredible hope that we can have, that God's desire is to restore us to meet us as we are, and to send Jesus into the story so that through Jesus we can be purified. We can be made clean. We can have a new life. That's why we talk about Jesus a lot here because it's, he's kind of the game changer. <laughs> he's kind of a big deal. He's the one who's changed our story. See, this holy, epic God that these angels are just saying, holy, 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 for a thousand years is a God who totally loves us. So much that he wants to reach in our story. So how will we respond? See, because if we view God's love for us as a license, as a license to just go on living life our own way, on our own terms, it's not going to transform us. If I just look at God's love as a license and think, oh, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. God, you love me. I'm not actually going to experience the reality of that love because I'm going to keep walking in defiance and selfishness on a dead-end path. But if we see God's love for us as an invitation, that changes everything. That God is reaching out to us in our story, sending Jesus into this world to invite us to come home. See, when love's an invitation, it changes everything because we suddenly stop running and we turn and begin heading home because dad's calling us back to himself once again. And so here's this incredible God who through Jesus invites us to come home, invites us to come back to him again, which means no more running, no more hiding, no more pretending. We can come as we are and have our lives changed forever because dad is saying, come here. It's time to come home. But let me tell you, how you hear those two words determines everything and how you respond. How you hear those words of invitation. Because when you hear the words, come here, that'll determine how you respond. Because I don't know, if you hear the words, come here, like they're angry words, come here! (laughs) I don't know, I'm not coming. (laughs) If that's your view of God, let me just tell you, you might not have the right view. You may have some baggage that's messing up the view. But when you hear the words, come here, as a loving invitation, you realize that this holy, epic God is inviting you into new life with him. How will you respond? Years ago, our family was living in SoCal, and we went to Disneyland for the day, and our girls were just little. So it was that sweet moment in, in parenting life where you just see the, the awe and wonder of them experiencing everything for the first time, and you're just so delighted to be with them. And like I had saved myself as a, as a youth to not go on Dumbo until I had kids. So it was so fun to go on Dumbo with my kids because it's not fun if you don't have kids. <laughs> and so we just spent the whole day at Disneyland, and it was just so much fun. And then we'd actually gone to downtown Disney to have dinner, and 
So it's in the cool of the evening and things are wrapping up. And our youngest daughter, Brooklyn, she had gone and found this fountain right in the middle of downtown Disney. And she was having the time of her life, just splashing in the water. And, and so I remember I said, all right, Brooklyn, let's go. It's time. We're going to go back to Disneyland. We got to see the parade and the fireworks. Like, it's not over yet. There's still so much more good stuff. And I remember she just kind of looked at me uh, and just went back splashing in the fountain. And I was like, oh, that's weird. She's, maybe she didn't hear what I said. We're going back to Disneyland. Better than a fountain. And so I walked up towards her, and then she looks at me as she's splashing, and she just shakes her head. And I was like, mm, no, no, come here. And I take another step, and she runs to the opposite side of the fountain. And now suddenly we're in this game, right? Like she's like on this, and I'm like, I'm like oh, man, she's, she's got moves, this little one. <laughs> and so I turn to Christy, who's got her oldest daughter, Indy, with her, and I'm like, you two just start heading back. She and I got to sort some stuff out. And so they head back, and we're going to meet up with them at the entrance of the park. And, and I just look at Brooklyn, and I realize I can chase her. And we could just do laps around the stupid fountain all night. But I have something better for her. And so I took a step back. And I took another step back. And she went back to playing in the fountain until I got to a spot where I could see her, but she could no longer see me. And I waited. And she's just splashing in the fountain, and all of a sudden she looks up, and she realizes the family's gone. And I can see the little bit of panic in her, in her eyes, and I'm like, okay. And then she starts to run in the direction that we had walked towards, and she doesn't see me yet. So then she gets close, and I step into her path, and I'm like, okay, are you ready? You know what she does? She looks at me in that moment, realizing that I had not left, and she goes back to the fountain. And she's just splashing in the water. And I'm like, what are you doing? Come here. <laughs> Come here. Let's go to Disneyland. Why are you wasting your life on a fountain? And so I'm not going to do laps. And so I take a step back. And I take a step back until I'm hiding again. And then I see her splashing, splashing, having the time of her life. <laughs> and all of a sudden she looks up and realizes the family's gone again. And so she starts to make her way. She's smart for a three-year-old. She starts to make her way back towards where the family had gone. But this time I don't step out and say, here I am. This time I let her walk past me. And then I just slip in behind her. And I just begin to quietly walk with her as she's making her way through the crowd. And I can just tell by her little three-year-old antics and body language that she's starting to get a little bit afraid. She's actually starting to get freaked out, and she goes to Build-A-Bear, where we'd been before, because she's a smart kid. She's, like, retracing her steps, and she stops in the doorway of Build-A-Bear, and I can just tell her, like, she's looking like this. She's afraid to go in by herself. She doesn't know where the family is, and I just quietly come up behind her, and I wait, and I wait. And then she turns around in that moment, and she sees me, and I see the look of fear in her face melt, and I just get down, and I say, are you ready now? And she's like, yes. I say, all right, come here. And I scoop her in my arms, and we walk into the happiest place on earth because that was my desire for her as her father. Dad desires to lead us into all of his goodness. And so often we choose to just be splashing in the fountain when he's wanting to lead us into life. How will we respond to this God who wants to call us into everything with him, into all of his goodness, and who's made it possible for us to pursue him through Jesus.
See, I think for some of us today, it's time to come home. It's time to come and say, okay, here I am. I embrace this invitation you have for me. Jesus, I want this life you've come to give me. Help me to walk with you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.